Hello, good morning, or good day, today, I guess, not really morning, yeah, thanks, appreciate you. Uh, my, my name is Austin, I'm one of the pastors here, um, and I'm, I'm just, uh, I'm really grateful to be up here today, and I don't think I mentioned that uh, first service, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really thankful and grateful for this opportunity um, that God has, God has placed before me. And so, yeah, today... Uh, if you didn't already know, we're going to be talking about Matthew 1. So that's that. Is anyone familiar with the story of Matthew, with what happens in Matthew 1? Anyone here have an idea? Got a guess? Anybody knows? No hands? Somebody's got to know. We talk about it every year in December. What do we talk about in December in church for the most part? Christmas. Yeah, that's right. I'm talking about Christmas today. Okay? I know. It's super weird. Okay, but, but bear with me. Uh, yeah, part, part of Matthew uh, 1 is the Christmas story. It's the first, the first part of Matthew 1 is like this, this genealogy, right? And everyone skips it, and that's okay. Um, not really, you should read it. I mean, but full transparency, I, I skip it. Um, uh, but the second part is uh, Jesus, it's the birth, it's Jesus' birth story, right? That's, it's the Christmas story. It's, it's one of two in the gospel. You got one in, in Matthew and the other one in Luke. Um, and so, yeah, I'm well aware it's August, all right, I'm not crazy, okay? Uh, my birthday is this week, so I, I know it's August. All right, but you guys, Christmas, four and a half months away. Only four and a half months away. 140 days, okay? Who's counting? This guy. I'm counting. Anybody else counting the days until Christmas? No, just me? I love Christmas. I'm like singing Christmas music all year round. Um, anyway, some of you, me just reminding you that there's only 140 days till Christmas, like there was some like anxiety in the room. Can we just like dismiss that real quick? Like let's like, wait to shop on Amazon, buy your, you know, hickory honey ham till after the service. Okay, I, I promise if it makes you feel better, go for it. Uh, but let's right now, let's just kind of get the resting heart rates back down before we kind of get into like the holiday season mode of things. Uh, back to Matthew 1. Okay, I'm guessing most of you, if not all of you, are familiar with the Christmas story. Maybe you've uh, read it before, or you probably hear about it um, every year during Christmas time when it's supposed to be talked about in church, right? Like not in August. Um, but that's okay, because here we are, we're doing it. But sometimes, here's what I think. I think sometimes our familiarity with this story, I think what it does is it dulls us. I think it dulls us, and we tend not to think that we are going to be surprised or learn something significant or new because we've been, you know, we've been reading um, this story or hearing this story for our whole lives, right? And so today I just want to encourage uh, you to dismantle that, at, at least just for today, just for today. Um, so I want you to dismantle that and I want you just to renew your mind um, to hear this story with fresh ears today. And, and personally, this is a constant challenge for me but what I've discovered is that these stories, though they are familiar, uh, they're also, they're, they're layered and they're complex and really they're, they're, they're incredibly significant. And the author of, the, what the author in Matthew 1 does here is, is quite honestly nothing short of brilliant and profound. And so can we just, can, we, can you guys try to do this with me today as we talk about Christmas? Yeah? Okay. Great. We're going we're gonna to dive in, though. Let's get going. So if you've got your Bibles with you or if you've got your phone and you've got the YouVersion app on your phone, you can pull that up. Sorry if I just blinded someone. Jeez. Okay. Um, if you've got that, you can pull it up. We're going to be in Matthew 1, verse 1, diving in. Okay? So here we go. I think I've got it. 
Okay, if you didn't bring your Bible or your phone. Didn't bring your phone? Does anyone not bring their phone places? Maybe you do. Good for you. Good for you. I want to be more like you. Here we are. Matthew 1. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And uh, we're going to stop right here. That's about as far as we get into the genealogy today, okay? Um, but we're going to stop because uh, that, that word that I have underlined, genealogy, right there, that word, um, it's really, Matthew really opens up his gospel with that word. I mean, it's, I know it's like this is the genealogy, but it's really just, it's, it's like two words, and, and the genealogy one is way more significant in this because it really, it tells you something. And actually, most of you, um, most of you already know this word in the Greek. Most of you already know this. It's the word genesis. Genesis. But in English we say Genesis. Yeah, that's right. Good job. Don't worry, we're not going back to the beginning yet, although I love to do that. I'm very fond of the book of Genesis. Uh, but we're gonna do, what we're going to do instead is we're going to turn the page if you've got your physical Bible with you or just kind of scroll down to verse 18 in Matthew. And we're going to read this. This is how, so this is verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. So you've got this is the genealogy, and then like, and then after the genealogy, the long list of names and, and, and guys and people and, and ladies too. Um, then you've got verse 18. It says this is the birth. Any guesses on what that word is right there? The word birth. Any guesses on what that word is in the Greek? Any guesses? Genesis. It's the same word. It's Genesis. I think someone said it. I don't know. It's hard to, hard to hear. I'm also a drummer, so my hearing's terrible. Um, but I'm assuming someone said Genesis. If you did, that's great. It's the same word. It's the same word repeated right here. So one, we have one use of the word Genesis we have for genealogy, and then the other use, we have a story, a narrative. Both are the Genesis, both are about the Genesis of Jesus. Both tell us something very significant about Jesus, namely his origin. Okay? And some of you, like, you know, you're, you're, one of, you're kind of a Bible geek, Bible nerd, and like you've got that you read the footnotes in your Bible or in the Bible app, you read those like little dot, dot, dots, and it's got, that's a footnote in the Bible app, okay, and it says like, or the origin of Jesus, or the origin of Jesus' birth, right? So it even has the word origin in there, and I think origin is a really helpful word for us today because it's not just about his, his birth, and it's not just a genealogy, okay? Because it, it's, it's, it's also too... It's a story. It's the story of his origins. Both of those combined. It's his origins. It's the story. And for us today, I, I think this is, a, this is a really helpful word because really there's only one place where we might get asked about our family of origin, at least from the perspective of understanding our story or better understanding our story. And that's, that's with a therapist or with a counselor. Right? They might ask you, they might ask you, to share, what was it like growing up in your family? You know, what, 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 what was it like? Did you have, were, were both parents in the house? Did you only have one? Was it, you know, mom, dad, who was it? Did you have siblings? How many siblings? Were you the oldest? Were you the youngest? You know, were, the, were you the middle child left in the grocery store? Like, what was it? That was me. Sorry, mom. <laughs> Calling you out. It wasn't intentional. I know that, okay? You didn't forget about me. Anyway. I, I dealt with that in therapy, okay? We, we talked about it. How many siblings? Okay, so, so they, this is all, all of this is wrapped, right? All this is wrapped up in your family of origins, okay? Like, what was communication like in your family? Okay, like, are, how do you, what are temperaments like? Are you Italian? I had some, 
Seriously, I, was sure, I, I had to go talk to some, I know some Italians in our service, I had to go talk to them after, I'm like, hopefully I didn't like offend you guys, like, that's okay. And they're like, oh, we get it. I grew up, one of my best friends was Italian growing up, and like, man, I, every time I went over for dinner, I thought for sure someone was getting a fork in the eye. Like, <laughs> it was scary. What's your family history? All of this, all of this is wrapped up in your family of origin. And a good therapist or a counselor isn't, isn't talking about this, isn't asking you about this to just rehash the past. No, what they're doing is they're, they're trying to illuminate the present, right? They're trying to learn more, about, learn more about yourself through learning about your origins. And this is exactly what I think Matthew is trying to do here. Um, I think he's convinced that through learning Jesus' origins, uh, we can learn more about who Jesus is, not just was, but who Jesus is today, alive, with us, like right now. Because the author of Matthew is keenly aware of something else too. And I want to bring you in on this. And that is, as we get to know Jesus, and we learn more about him, we are also, at the same time, getting to know ourselves. The more we learn about Jesus, the more we learn about ourselves. In fact, it is only through knowing Jesus that that we can truly know ourselves. Matthew's convinced of this, and I am too. And, And we actually have, many, all of us have relationships like this in our lives. Okay, all of us do. And so, um, just indulge me for the next few minutes. Um, I'm gonna, because I want to show you guys some pictures of my daughter, Ophelia. Okay, so here is, here's little Ophie. Uh, and man, it was really hard picking three pictures. I'm not, like, if you guys had the opportunity to put photos of your kids, like, it's, it would be difficult. So this is Ophie, um, or Ophelia, Ophie for short, and she is 18 months, and um, man, she is just full of joy and silliness and goofiness, right? Not all the time. She's, she's a firecracker, that's for sure. Um, but most of the time, seriously. And so she's been living with us, right? For the last 18 months. Okay, like every day. She, we wake up, she's there, okay? And, um, and, and right off the bat, like these little ones, they come out intense, right? I mean, they are like, you, right off the bat, you're learning like their temperaments, like, you know, kind of their attitude, uh, their, their, uh, their preferences. Like Ophi, she, we thought, she would swaddle, but she did not really want to get swaddled. She always found a way to like get an arm out or something like that. And so they, so they come right off the bat, like you're getting to know these little human beings, um, and it's just crazy. And so we've spent the last 18 months getting to know her. And here's what happens. At the same time, at the same time that Morgan and I are getting to know her, Morgan and I are also getting to know ourselves. And so the past year has exposed, quite, quite honestly, like new depths of selfishness in me and insecurities that I wasn't aware of. And, and especially when it comes to, some of you might relate, probably, but especially when it comes to like my own plans and having my own plans and making my own plans. And you know, then a short night of sleep, waking up in the middle of the night, a very early morning, or like a five minute nap, because they think that's all that, like, and then your, your plans, you know, just kind of shatter to the floor, and you're like, okay. All right, this isn't what I wanted. This, I, I had plans in mind. I had what I wanted to do to the, with the day, with my day, with my morning, with my evening, whatever. And like, it's just not going that way. And I find myself like getting frustrated. And I'm like, what the heck? But then on the flip side, on the flip side of that, 
Like there's, there's also, it's this, the past 18 months has also exposed a new capacity uh, for, for unselfishness too. Okay, because a lot of the time, a lot of the time you, you just have to do stuff even when it's not convenient. But yet I don't really think about the fact that it's not convenient um, because I love her and, and she's awesome. My point, my point is that I'm getting to know myself as much as I'm getting to know Ophelia in this process. And this is true for all of our closest relationships. You could put like your two closest relationships, you could put pictures of your closest relationships up here on the screen and it would be the exact same thing for you. There would be things that that, that relationship has exposed in your life that while you have learned about them, you have also learned about yourself. And that is why these relationships are so awesome. That's why they're so important. It's because they enrich our lives and we learn about ourselves just as much as we learn about them. And I think this is exactly what Matthew is trying to do right here as he tells us about the origins of Jesus, that we can learn as much about about ourselves as we can learn about Jesus and who Jesus is. Are you with me? So let's dive back in. We're going to dive back into the origin story of Jesus, the the genesis of Jesus with this kind of perspective in mind, okay? Sweet. Uh, Starting in verse 18. Uh, so kind of back to that, we're told, we're told that this is how the genesis or birth of Jesus came about. And like, again, renewed mind, like dismantling this story that we've heard a hundred times, or maybe not a hundred times, that would make you a hundred years old, unless you've read it a lot. I don't know. Anyway, besides the point. Okay. A story you've heard a lot, frequently. This is an odd story. <laughs> it's a weird story. Like, can we be honest? It's strange. It is strange. Like, if you're reading this for the first time, or if, like, it, it, it is weird, okay? And, and would this have been a weird story back in first, first century? Naz, Nazareth? Yes, absolutely. This would have been, this would have been a weird story. Um, consider the town of Nazareth during this time. It wasn't like the big touristy site that it is today. Like, Nazareth was like, like 500, less, probably less than 500 people. Um, very traditional, patriarchal, Jewish town. And in that town, like, everyone knew each other. It was mostly, like, probably a lot of extended families that live in, most, everyone knew each other. It's like Shipshawana, but smaller. Okay? And so, like, everyone knew each other. And, then, and so you've got Mary and Joseph, and this is kind of how engagement works in this culture. Think, like, you know, the fiddler on the roof, matchmaker, matchmaker, okay? So, it, like, you, Mary and Joseph at a very young age are, are uh, what they consider betrothed. They're engaged. And this, this happens in those early teenage years where, you know, they're like, yeah, we're, you two are going to grow up to be married. One of Ophie's movies that we like watching right now is Lion King. And there's this, there's this scene in The Lion King where like, uh, what's that bird's, what's the toucan's name? Is it toucan? Not toucan. What's that bird's name? Anybody know? No one watches Lion King? Is that too old? Oh, you know. Uh, Zabumafu? Zafu? Zavu? Zazu. Wow, thank you. See, my hearing, I told you it was bad. Anyway, Zazu's like telling like Simba and, and Nala like, hey, you guys are, you know, you'll eventually be married someday. And they're like, what? Ew, gross. Okay, so I kind of like imagine that was like Mary and Joseph back in the day. Okay, and so anyway, they've grown up. Thank you for that, the Zazu. Um, anyway, they've grown up like in relationship with each other, like knowing each other, knowing that they're going to get married. Okay, and, um, and it's a huge deal. Engagement in this culture is a huge deal. When you get engaged, like, there are marriage contracts, there are witnesses, like, there are people, elders from the town that come together and, like, stamp it and, and seal it, and it's done. Like, that's what's happening. Okay? And so the agreements are made, 
And, and we know this is a serious deal because look at the verbiage used when, when Joseph finds out that Mary's pregnant. Like, what does it say? They're not married yet. What does it say? What is, what is Joseph going to do? What's, what's the Christmas story? Come on, what is Joseph, Joseph going to do quietly because he's a kind guy? He plans to divorce her, right? Like, that's his plan. But they're not even married. So, like, it, it just tells you, it paints this picture. Like, divorce, er, marriage engagement was a very serious thing in this culture, okay? Almost as serious as the marriage itself, okay? And so, years, there, there are years of history for this couple. They've known that eventually they would get married. And months before they get married, Mary finds out that she's pregnant, <gasps> right? I go, oh, no. Oh, no. How is this going to go over in first century, like, Na- Nazareth? It's not going to be good. I can tell you that much. Really bad. It's going to be really, really bad. It's going to be horrible for Mary and her family in that community. Everyone's going to know. They're going to be ostracized, right? It's going to be awful. And so think, if you're Joseph, put yourself in Joseph's shoes right here. Like, his middle school sweetheart, this person that he's been planning to get married for a long time, now is like, hey, Joe, I'm pregnant. And Joseph is like, oh no. Oh no, that is really bad. Who? Like who? The Holy Spirit? And Joseph. It's weird, guys, this is a weird story, right? Is it not? It's weird. Okay, it's strange. Okay, and so, so you have this moment, and does Joseph believe it? Does Joseph believe it? No, in, in fact, in, it, he doesn't. He's a kind man. He, he decides he's going to divorce. He didn't believe it at first. Okay, Joseph is actually just as incredulous, and just as skeptical as many people are today about this story. Because we know it takes a vision from God for Joseph to stay with Mary. Okay, so it's strange. It's a strange story, and yet this is part of the, or, this is the origins of our faith. And I mean, if you're Matthew writing this, if you're writing this, you're like, is this really the story that, God, is this really the story? Like, is this really it? Like, you really want me to write this down? Like, it's full of scandal and intrigue, and it just simply raises a lot of moral and and just questions about illegitimate birth and whatnot. And I mean, if if this story was fabricated... If it was fabricated, is this really the best that they could choose? Is this really the best thing that they could come up with? Quite honestly, friends, there really is no reason to tell this story unless it's really telling the story of something that actually took place about the genesis of Jesus. And partially because it's not even original. Like in this time, in this culture, under the umbrella of the Roman Empire, like they had gods and it was very, it was very cultural for gods to, to have like demigods with like Achilles and, and Hercules and all of these different demigods and things like that. And so it was very culturally normal for like those gods to come down, have sex and impregnate men and, and for men to impregnate the gods and like for, to, have, to have children that way. Like that was, so what makes this story, what makes this story different? What's so different about this one? Well, if you hadn't noticed, Matthew doesn't even actually use the word God in this story. What does he reference as the source for this new life in Mary's womb? Anybody? What does he say? The Holy Spirit. 
The Spirit is mentioned twice here. Can you, it's interesting and it's important that it's mentioned twice. Can you guys think of another Genesis story where the Holy Spirit is, is creating life where it otherwise couldn't be? The book of Genesis. Yeah, good job. Yeah, it's the book of Genesis, right? In the beginning. Okay, in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and void and empty and darkness was over the surface of the deep. Chaos, like nothing, not suitable for life. No life could be here. And the Spirit of God was there hovering over the waters, just waiting for God to speak. Let there be light. Spirit moves. God speaks in creation. The Spirit generates and sustains life in creation, right? And um, I, think, I think this is part of what Matthew is getting at, that it was the Spirit. It was God's personal, life-giving presence, generating and creating and sustaining life where there otherwise couldn't be life, a virgin womb. You see, this is part of what Matthew is trying to communicate to us about the genesis of Jesus is that, listen, it's not, it's not at all about any of, it's not about sex. It's not about that at all. It's about life. It's about the generation, the creation of life and the generation and creation of a new life, a new humanity where there otherwise wouldn't be possible. We'll get to that later. But it's about the establishment of a new humanity, something entirely unique and unprecedented. And we simply call it the virgin birth. But it is really everything but simple. Let's keep going in Matthew. We're going to pick up in verse 21. Um, She will give birth to a son, and you are going to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now, names in this culture are very significant, and they often carry meaning, and especially in the scriptures, names are often used to communicate something about someone. Okay, and this is is no different. The name of Jesus um, communicates a meaning that I think is really significant for us to hone in on here. And it's actually right there in verse 21. It says it right there. They shall name him Jesus because he will save. You see, the name Jesus comes from the Hebrew name Joshua or Yehoshua. Yeho being the abbreviated form of Yahweh and Shua meaning salvation or is salvation. Or more simply put, Yahweh is salvation, even more simply than that. Yahweh saves. Yahweh saves. And over time, Yehoshua uh, was shortened to Yeshua, right? And this name that was then, it was then translated into Greek from the Hebrew. Um, and and that, that Y turned into, or that Y became Jesus. Jesus. And then now I'm getting to where I was going. And then in the English, that Y turned into a J and, and, and the name became Jesus. Jesus. And this, friends, is the first claim Matthew makes about this new life, this new human. His name is Jesus, and he will save. Wait, I thought Yahweh saves. Yes, exactly. But it says he will save. Correct. Yes. Do you guys see what Matthew's writing, what he's getting at here? He's getting at something really significant here in the scriptures that is, is very important about who Jesus is. Matthew is telling us 
the person of Jesus. He's talking about how his name speaks not only to his destiny, but also his identity. Who is going to save? Is it, is it he will save or is it Yahweh saves? Yes. The answer is yes. And right here, Matthew, like, he, he didn't write some, some 20 page theological thesis on the hypostatic union of Jesus and his divinity and humanity. No, he, he, he told a story. He gave us a name. And it's the meaning of his name that as we learn about, we begin to learn about ourselves. Who is this person and what is he going to do? Well, his name is Yahweh saves and he is going to save. Who is he going to save? His people. What is he going to save his people from? Their sins. Verse 21 is, is, you guys, it it should be a mind-blowing verse for you because right here what Matthew has done is he, he has condensed the entire Hebrew scriptures into one verse, the Old Testament, into one verse. Verse 21. Because who are his people? Who are Jesus' people? First part of Matthew 1. We have, thank goodness, they put that handy-dandy genealogy there. You know what I'm saying? Or else, who, how would we know who his people are, okay? So like he puts that genealogy there, and aren't you glad we have it? Now, okay, don't skip over it, all right? Yeah, we'll get to that, okay? But these are his people. It's the tribe of Israel, the tribe of Abraham. Abraham, who had many sons, apparently. Right? All right, okay. I'm just going to keep going. (laughs) And I'm sorry. I'm I'm, I'm sorry, quite honestly. I I think these jokes are, like, funnier in my head than I say them. And, you know, people, it's like crickets. Like, got it. Got it. Moving on. And I do apologize, I'm, I'm not going to read the entire uh, genealogy again. Uh, but what I do, or, or not again, I'm not going to read it all. Um, but I do think it, it helps us to begin to answer the question of who is Jesus going to save? Because the Hebrew scriptures don't begin with the tribe of Abraham, right? The Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament, Genesis, it doesn't begin with Abraham. It actually begins with all of humanity. It begins with, with Adam and Eve, Right? And in the beginning, humans are made in the image of God to reflect God's love and God's goodness and power back out into creation by trusting God and and his definition of good and evil. Right? And how do they do with this? How How does humanity do, pass or fail? You guys surely know the story of Adam and Eve. Pass or fail? They fail. Yeah, they fail, okay? And then so God calls out of humanity um, a single tribe, the tribe of Abraham, and he establishes a new covenant with them in response to humanity's failure. And so God, God rescues them out of slavery from Egypt, right? He becomes their king, and he gives them the Torah or the law. And, and, and it's this new, it's kind of this, this, this new way to live and, and bring back the original, restore the original uh, role of humanity in, in God's kingdom, Okay, that's, that's kind of what the, what the Torah was for. And, and how, do God's, how does the tribe of Israel do, do it at living out and following the Torah and living in this new covenant? How, covenant? how do they do? Pass or fail? Pass or fail? They fail. They don't, they, yeah, they don't, they don't, they don't do a good job. Or else we'd be living an entirely different life today, let me tell you that. Okay, they fail. All right? So then because of this, um, uh, God responds uh, to this failure by calling out a single line of kings out of the tribe of Israel. And this line of kings comes from the line of David. And now you're kind of noticing I'm literally just following the boring genealogy at the beginning of Matthew 1. 
right? I'm just kind of pulling this out. And uh, how does this line, well, fast forward, how does this line of kings do? Pass or fail? They fail, yeah. We're starting to get boring about it now. Yeah, they fail too. And what follows after that is the people of Israel, uh, they, they, live then, they live, then, then live in exile under Babylon. Okay, and there's like this short little blip in Malachi where they go back to Jerusalem and it goes horribly and it like doesn't work. So they, they're in exile and that's pretty much, how, this is how the Hebrew scriptures end. It's an unfinished story in exile, right? It's just boom, it's over, that's it, that's all we've got. It'd be sort of like if Stranger Things just ended. It's over. That's it. We don't know what's going to happen, Hawkins. We, don't, we have no clue. We have no clue what's going to happen to, to Eleven and our heroes in the town. Like, what? That'd be really sad. Wouldn't it? And this, this, is how this, this is how it ends. This is how the Hebrew Scriptures end. Okay? It is a story in search of an ending. And what Matthew is doing is Matthew is presenting Jesus as the one who's coming to finish this story. The one who's coming to solve the problem of humanity's sin. Now, isn't that an ambiguous word, sin, right? It's one of those, like, church words that's kind of like, yeah, we use it, and maybe we don't really know what it is, or you know, how, how does it work? And there's a lot of words to kind of, there's like iniquity and all sorts of different words, but sin specifically, the word literally means to miss, to miss the mark, to fail, moral failure. We had a goal as humans, right? To a, a job as human beings to reflect the divine image to, out into creation, to love God and love others. Um, and and we, we failed. Right? We failed. And Jesus comes to what Jesus does, what Matthew does, is he presents Jesus as this person who's come to rescue, as this new humanity created out of, out of something entirely new. And he, and he says, this person is going to come and rescue all humanity and save us from our own failures and mistakes and the consequences of those failures and mistakes. And this is the name of Jesus. This is all wrapped up in that, in that little name. Those couple verses here in Matthew 1, in the Christmas story. And as we learn about this, as we learn about Jesus and his name, we learn something about ourselves. Namely, that, that we too have failed and we too are in need of rescue. And we too have missed the mark. And we too have poorly reflected God's image. And, and friends, this is a hard truth. It's, no one wants to hear that. And admitting it is, is even more difficult. Because I think it's tempting to just kind of compare ourselves to others in, in the story and just kind of think, well, hey, I mean, at least I'm not as bad as, as that guy. I'm aware I'm pointing to myself. That's funny. That's true. <laughs> that guy's pretty bad. This guy's it's the same person. Okay. Anyway, um, at, least, at least I'm not as bad as that guy. At least I don't do that. At least I'm doing this, right? And then that's kind of like the next step of this. And can I just encourage you, like, like friends, just stop. Just stop that. It is not helpful for you. It is not helpful for you to be comparing yourself to others in that sense. And it's not helpful for you in how you think about others and how others are made in the image of God. It's just not helpful for your journey for you as a human being all around. So just, just stop. Right? And it, the, the problem is it just only perpetuates, it only perpetuates your, your ability to justify and rationalize your own actions. Because that's not, not as bad as that person, at least. Right? And so, and then on the other, on the other side of that, we kind of have, have this idea where, okay, you know, I, I, I do this. 
thinking back to as a father, like, yeah, I'm, I'm unselfish at, or I'm selfish at times, very selfish at times, and I'm, I'm realizing this to new depths. But I mean, also at the same time, like, I'm, I'm, relative, I'm pretty self-giving and unselfish too. You know, like, there are times when I just, I wake up in the middle of the night out of the goodness of my heart and take the passing in and go, shh, you know, pat Ophie on the butt and, hey, sweetheart, I love you. Like, I mean, I do that too, sometimes. Right, and so then we kind of like, we kind of get into this, this time where we're like, we're also rationalizing that because like, I mean, I, I know I'm this, but hey, I'm also, I'm also, I'm also this. They kind of balance each other out. Okay, and my point is, is that's, just as, that's just as wrong too because then we're, we're just kind of thinking that the answer to the problem of all of this is us, that we can simply, we could just do better. We can just be kinder. We can be more good and it doesn't get to the root of the problem. And my point here is not to make any of us feel guilty um, or anything like that. The reality is, friends, the reality is we're all guilty. We're all guilty of this. All humanity. I mean, that's, that's literally what the story of this genealogy is right here. Is that all humanity has been guilty of this time and time again. And so my goal is the same as Matthew's. And that is to put this person of Jesus before you. And as you learn about him and the meaning of his name and the meaning of his origin, what are you learning about yourself in the process? Are you being, are you being made aware of the fact that rescue and salvation only comes through Jesus? That you, me, we, like are in need of such dire help along with the rest of humanity and that salvation, that rescue only comes from outside of humanity. Because exhibit A in human history, pretty consistent, I mean, that's literally the Old Testament, just time and time again, failure after failure after failure. And God committing himself and choosing to partner with humans and, and, and failure after failure after failure. Like this, we're, we are no different. We are all guilty of this. We've shown time and time again that we will fail. And Matthew is putting Jesus in front of you as the solution to this failure and the rest of humanity's failure. And this is heavy stuff. I get it. I get that. So one last thing before we close here. We're going to, in Matthew, we're going to keep going in Matthew. We're going to get to verse 22. Um, Matthew receives two names. One, Jesus. And in that name, we learn a lot about ourselves, namely that we're, we're hopeless. We're in need of rescue. Okay? And, and the second name, the second name just kind of comes right alongside it. And it's a name that's really familiar to us because I think we hear it all the time. And we think, oh yeah, that's great. Like we kind of find some comfort in it. But, but in the context of the story, it's really significant. And so Matthew 22, sorry, Matthew 1, 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. And this prophet Isaiah is talking about. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel. Emmanuel, which means God with us. And like as I was saying earlier, this is a familiar phrase for some of us. Some of us know this word. But in the context of the story, this name reveals to us a God who is, who is not content, friends, to leave us, to leave humanity as a failed project. A God who's not content to leave us in the mess of our own sin, rotting away in this, in the consequences of it. This name reveals to us a God who, who chooses to get up close and literally bind himself to a messy, broken, sinful humanity 
to do something with us, to use us, to partner with us, to bring hope and deliverance to lives that seem hopeless, to bring life where there otherwise wouldn't be or couldn't be. So what does this name, Emmanuel, reveal about us? What do you learn about yourself in this? I'll give you some ideas. That God sees you, God knows you, and God is with you. God is with you, friends. So wherever you find yourself at right now, God is with you. And maybe, maybe you're in a really difficult season of life. Maybe it feels like you're entering into what seems like a winter or a desert, and life is just really hard to find. You're not finding joy in anything. You're not enjoying yourself out with your fa- Like, it just feels like there's not life. It feels like the air is sucked out of your lungs. You feel like you're, you're just overwhelmed by what is going on. Well, maybe it's a difficult season for you, and, and can, I just, can I just encourage you? God has not abandoned you. God has not forgotten you. God has not forsaken you. Friends, I believe it is in fact the exact opposite. He is right there with you. That's what this name means, Emmanuel, God with us. He's right there with you. Whatever valley you you are in, whatever rut you're stuck in, whatever cross you feel like you're bearing and it's too much, can I just remind you that Jesus comes alongside you and that when he is beside you, you can have faith and trust that he has endured endured it all for you so that you can too. Not only that, but so that you can live. So you can live Live a life filled by the life-giving presence, God's presence, his Holy Spirit. So that there would be life where there wouldn't be. Love where there shouldn't be. And God where he is meant to be, my friends. With us. Amen? As we close, I've asked the band to play a song. And so they're up here with me. And this might be a song that you're familiar with. And I would just encourage you, as you sit and reflect on these lyrics, um, and you reflect on the name of Jesus, that you would take some, take some time and just consider, what does this name mean to you? Yahweh is salvation. What does it mean for you to be rescued, to be saved, to consider this? I think is really important for us. And so I'd encourage you to do that while you listen to the song.